The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. We are finishing up uh, our study on the bodily resurrection. We're moving very quickly, very rapidly to the conclusion of our study of 1 Corinthians. It's our practice here at Christ Central to work verse by verse through books of the Bible. And we've been doing that through this letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And it is by God's providence that he would have us here in the end of chapter 15 on this Resurrection Sunday. But just by a way of reminder of where we are and how we've gotten here, specifically in chapter 15, there are some in Corinth that are doubting a bodily resurrection. They're, they're denying a bodily resurrection period of, of anyone from the grave. This is surely coming from a, a Gnostic Greek influence in the church at, at Corinth. Gnosticism was a popular worldview in their day that viewed um, anything of the body as evil and anything of the, the spirit as good. And so the, the goal of a Gnostic is to, to do away with anything that has to do with your flesh, that has to do with your, your body. And so they would obviously doubt a, a bodily resurrection from the dead because finally in death you would shed this, this body that is evil. This is taken root in the church at Corinth. And so Paul is, is writing to them to argue for a resurrection, just to remind you of what Paul has said, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have, have perished. They're, they're arguing. Paul's arguing from this theological standpoint to say that you deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, then there are some serious implications that will take place. That, that means some things. Mostly it means that Christ is not raised from the dead. And if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then you're still in your sins and your, your faith is meaningless. But Paul goes on to say in verse 20, but the fact is, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he's the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man 
has come also the resurrection of the dead. Just as through one man, Adam, came death, and that death spread to all men, so also through one man, Jesus Christ, comes the resurrection of the dead. In verse 35, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You see, now Paul assumes that you believe that you understand that there is a bodily resurrection and that one day we will, if believers in Jesus Christ be raised from the dead in glorious bodies, if not, be raised for eternal judgment. And the question is, how are they to be raised and with what kind of bodies will they come? And so Paul answers this, this question that he knows that the church in Corinth is asking by saying, listen, you are, you are foolish people. You know this. This is easy. This is simple. You see this all around you. And so he begins to use just natural examples of this, of a seed going into the ground and dying, but yet raising again to a new, more glorious life. He uses the example of the sun and the moon and the stars and their different glories that we will all be raised with different bodies, and all of that leads to this conclusion in verse 49, where Paul says, just as we have all borne the image of the man of dust, just as every one of us have borne the image of Adam, just as every single one of us have been born in Adam, and we bear the image of Adam, we've, we've um, given in to our sin nature, the sin that began with Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That when we are raised from the dead, no longer will we bear the image of the man of dust. No longer will we bear the image of Adam. But in our glorious resurrected bodies, we will be like Christ. And that's the great point of the bodily resurrection. That we'll be made like Christ. That our, our strivings to be like Him will cease because we will be made like him at the resurrection. But that means that there is a universal fate that awaits every single one of us. And that fate is death. But now Paul answers a different question. He answers the question of what about those who are still alive when Christ comes? So you see... Paul has said it is clear that there is a bodily resurrection and it's clear you see it as, as seeds are, are sown into the ground and they die there, they, they break down there, yet they're uh, risen again to, to a new life. So it is with us. We die, we're buried, yet one day we're risen to a new life. You, you understand that, you see that, that leads the question then... If Christ is coming again, which He is, and when Christ comes again, what about those who aren't in the grave? What about those who are still alive? What, because you see why He's asking this question. The, the illustration that He's used is that which is, has gone into the ground. What about those that have not gone into the ground? And so Paul answers this question, and he gives us some insight on what it will be like on the day that Christ comes again. And the great point is, 
on that day, there will be a great transformation. Here's what Paul says in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 50 serves as a transitional verse. It joins these two sections together, that which has come before and that which will follow. Paul has just finished saying that when the dead in Christ are raised, that they are given spiritual bodies that we will receive as we come out of the grave, a a transformation, and we will receive a spiritual body. And the reason why we will receive a, a spiritual body is because we will need a body that is capable to... Um, withstand the spiritual realm, bodies that can handle the spiritual realm. So he says, listen brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. When he uses this term flesh and blood, it, it means our physical bodies as we are now. Our bodies, the bodies that we have, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They are not able to. These bodies that we have, they will not do. And the reason is because these bodies are perishable. Paul says, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Our bodies, as they are today, are perishable. And being perishable, they cannot inherit the imperishable. This shouldn't be hard for us to understand. It shouldn't be hard for us to deduce. We, We should be able to understand this. We've seen God explain this. He explained this to Moses, didn't he? In Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. As Moses was on the mountain, desirous to see God, God tells him, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. The reason why we cannot in these bodies see God and live is because this body is perishable. And when we view the glory of the imperishable, this body perishes. It can't handle the glories of the kingdom of God. When we come to the kingdom of God, we will see Him as He is. We can't take that. You can't take that. Our bodies will perish. We need an imperishable body. There must be a a transformation that takes place that enables us to be able to see face to face God in His glory and live. We need a special body suited for heaven, suited to last and eternity. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, Paul says, 
I tell you a mystery. I tell you a mystery. A mystery in, in biblical language is not something that's unknowable. We think of a mystery sometimes as things that just are unknowable, totally unknowable. But biblically, it isn't something that was not totally unknowable, but it's something that was not previously known. Something that was not previously known, but now has been made known. It's, it's things in the Old Testament that were hidden by God that now in the New Testament have been revealed by God. And so Paul says, I'm going to tell you this mystery. This thing that has been previously unknown. That you can't see God and live. So now I'm going to tell you how we will be able to do that. We shall not all sleep, Paul says, but we will all be changed. We will not all die. We will not all go into the grave. There will be some who are alive on the day that Christ returns. And even though we won't all sleep, we will all be changed. Now I want to stop here just for a second because there are... Some people who make a lot of hay out of what Paul has just said. And they say, you see what Paul just said? He says, we won't all sleep, but we will all be changed. That Paul has included himself in those who will be alive when Christ returns. Therefore, Paul must have believed that he was going to be alive when Christ returns. Therefore, Paul was wrong because Christ has not returned and he is no longer alive. Therefore, we can't believe anything that Paul has to say. Now, there are a lot of people who make a lot of hay about that. I trust that you're not one of those people, but I want to make it clear anyway. What Paul is doing here is he is using the term we, and he is including himself in the general terms of believers. That there will be believers, generally speaking, alive when Christ returns. And Paul is right to include himself in all believers because he is a believer. We will not all sleep, all believers, but we will all be changed. Every one of us will be changed. And here's how it's going to happen in verse 52. It will happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. In a moment, Paul says. In a moment. This is an interesting word that Paul uses here. It's the word atomos in the Greek. It's from which we get the word Adam. It means that which cannot be divided. That which cannot be cut. That which cannot be made any shorter. What Paul is doing as he uses this language is he's highlighting the speed at which this will take place. That in a moment, in a span of time that cannot be cut any shorter, that's when it will happen. In a moment. And he goes on to say, in the twinkling of an eye. Now this is not a blink. A blink can be registered. A blink can be seen. But the twinkling of an eye, it can't be seen. It could mean a couple of things. One, it could mean the twinkling of an eye could mean the speed at which your eye can move. 
Now, did you know that your eye is the fastest part of your body? No other part of your body can move as quickly as your eye. And eye movement is the fastest part of your body. And so it could mean as fast as your eye can move. That's how fast Christ is coming back. That's how fast we are going to be changed. But it could also mean the length of time that it takes your light to pass from your cornea to your retina. Now, that amount of speed is is mind-boggling. I mean, you know the speed of light, how fast it can travel. Great distances, seemingly immediately. Now imagine how fast it takes for it to go that far. Paul is highlighting the the speed at which this transformation is going to take place at almost an immeasurable speed. That this transformation from this perishable body to an imperishable body is is not going to be one that takes time. But instead, it's something that will happen instantaneously. It will happen at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable. They will be raised in their imperishable bodies so that they can inherit the kingdom of God. And we shall be changed. In that moment, Those who are left alive will be transformed. They will be changed. They will be made like Christ. This isn't a process, but it's an instantaneous, miraculous metamorphosis that takes place instantly. Now, why is that important? Why is Paul making that point? I'll I'll tell you why I believe that Paul is making that point. Because it's, it's at this point that every one of us should stop and be in awe at the power of God. That this is the kind of power God has. This is how powerful He is. That in a in the twinkling of an eye. Every believer alive will be transformed into the image of Christ. And every dead believer raised imperishable to be made into the image of Christ. Can you imagine the amount of power on display in that moment? This is our God. He's all powerful. I mean, we can think about powerful forces. We can think about powerful things. Think about earthquakes. You know, in the, in the Bible, an earthquake symbolizes the, the power of God. As Isaiah looks over a valley of dry bones, the power of God begins to sweep through. What happens? There, there begins to be a shaking. There's an earthquake. 
Christ is crucified. There's an earthquake. We, we see the power of an earthquake that can bring down tall buildings. They represent the, the power of God. Imagine for a second, as powerful as that is, God's power on display, how that pales in comparison to billions upon billions upon billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of people changed instantly. The dead in Christ raised and those alive transformed. At the sound of a trumpet, Christ will descend and we will be changed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that those who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord." Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Whether dead or alive, if believers in Jesus Christ, we will be changed. By the power of God, in a moment, in an instant, we will be changed. Then I love the way that Paul puts it in verse 43 as he continues. He says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. This perishable body that that I have must put on imperishable. This language is just like putting on clothes. I'm just going to put it on. I'm going to put on immortality. I'm going to put on an imperishable body. That simple. That's simple. I, you know, I read that and I thought, you know, that's just crazy to me that Paul puts it that way. Like, it's that simple. Just, I'm just going to put it on. I Just like I put on this coat, I'm just going to put it on. And I thought, it can't be that simple. Guess what? It's that simple. Because what seems impossible to us is simple with God. He's that powerful. That seems crazy to me. That's every day for God. He can do it with the sound of the command. The voice of an archangel at the trumpet of God. In a moment, he's descending. And in that moment, I'm just putting it on. And I'll be made like Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we will have a building from God. He's not talking about our houses. He's not talking about our tents. He's talking about our bodies. We know that if our bodies, that our earthly homes, if they're destroyed, we'll have a building, a body from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. In this body we groan. In this body we have problems. In this body we have distresses. In this body we long and are burdened for the immortal But God's prepared for us a body of immortality, a body of of glory, a body that will swallow up the mortal. And in that moment, as we are changed, as we are transformed, our transformation will result in great victory. Fifty-four. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. In that moment when we are changed, in that moment when we are transformed, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal put on immortality, then that which was prophesied in the days of old will come to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. This is Isaiah 25.8. We read this earlier. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. He will swallow up death forever. This is is strong language. This language of swallowing. We will swallow up death forever. This is just an interesting way to, to put it. Anybody else find that interesting? He will swallow it up. You know, when you, you swallow something, you're, you're doing away with something. You're destroying something, right? When you swallow it. And always, without exception, the one doing the swallowing is greater than the thing that is swallowed. Right? I mean, none of us have swallowed something bigger than us. It doesn't work that way. The one doing the swallowing is is bigger. The one doing the swallowing is more powerful. You see, this is the point. Jesus is bigger than our greatest enemy. Jesus is stronger than our greatest foe. Through Him, our biggest enemy. It's death. Through Him, our our biggest enemy is something that goes from something that is is terrifying, something that is, is scary, something that's to be avoided, to something that can be taunted. 
Because that's, that's what comes next. 50, 55, this is, this is trash talk. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I mean, you, you get that. This, this, is, this is God inspiring His people to trash talk death. What you got? Because I got something bigger. I got something more powerful. I got something that can swallow you like a gnat. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is Hosea 13, 14. The death has been so defeated that we can now taunt it. Because its victory is gone. It's been swallowed. Its stinger is rendered useless. Because, verse 56, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, death no longer has victory. Because death no longer can inflict a mortal sting. Because the sting of death is sin. That's where death comes from. It comes from sin. Death came through sin. Death is the result. The sting is death. And it stings because it's spread to all people. Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death came when sin came because sin brings death. And that sin spread and it spread to every single one of us. It spread to you and it spread to me and it spread to every person who has ever lived. And with sin comes death. Sin is the sting that brings death. But through Christ Jesus the, de- the sting of death is defeated. Oh, That's what Paul just says. The sting of death is defeated. Now, I want you to see this. The sting of death is defeated. Not death is defeated. But the sting of death is defeated. And what's the sting of death? Sin. Sin has been done away with in Christ. It's not that we want sin, but it is in Christ we no longer feel the sting of sin. Because Christ has forgiven us. God has forgiven us. Our sin is not counted against us. The law was satisfied in Christ and His righteousness has now become our righteousness. The power of the law that was sin 
has been dealt a death blow in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The sting of death is defeated. Sin is defeated. Death still happens. But the sting of death, sin, it's been defeated. That stinger went in him and it stayed. And it killed. But by the power of God, he's alive. And the sting of death is defeated. And now all who put their faith in him live forever with him. Romans 5, we just read, this this sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and it spread to all men because all have sinned. But praise God, that's not where the story ends. Verse 17 in Romans 5, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, because of Christ, all who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ. Because of Christ and faith in Him, we will all be changed. All who put their faith in Him. All who put their faith in Him. Church, listen. On the day when Christ returns... The way that you experience this transformation, the way that your perishable body is able to put on the imperishable, the way that your mortal body is able to put on immortality is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Your works won't get you there. Your good deeds won't get you there. Your church attendance won't get you there. Your parenting skills won't get you there. Only thing... It gets you there is faith in Jesus Christ. So, here's Paul's argument. There is a bodily resurrection, and we know that there's a bodily resurrection because Christ has been raised from the dead. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. And if we're alive when he comes again, we will be changed in an instant. So how do we apply this? And I love this chapter. This, this chapter, chapter 15, it's 57 verses of doctrine. And one verse of application. And people say doctrine doesn't matter. 57 verses of doctrine and one verse of application. What's the application? Verse 58. Therefore, that's, that's the phrase. This is the application. Because of all of this that I've just said to you, therefore, this is what you do, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. To be steadfast is to be settled 
It means to be seated, to be fixed. Be immovable. You stop moving around. Know the truth. And stand firm in the truth. Don't be blown around by every wind of doctrine. Don't be tossed to and fro like a ship in a storm. Be rock solid. Now remember who he's writing to. He's writing to the church at Corinth. They're all over the place. They don't know what to believe. So Paul says, here, 57 verses of doctrinal truth. Now, therefore, because of it, be steadfast. Be immovable. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. And don't stray from it. Because this is the truth. Know the truth and stand firm. Now, folks like me, who are a little dogmatic and a little reformed, We like that. Know the truth, right? But it doesn't stop there. My beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Get to work, church. Because Christ is coming again, because we all will be changed, get to work. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. Because we know that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Because we know that we work for something, a great transformation. Our labor is not in vain. He's coming again, church. So get to work. That's the application. Know what you believe. Stand firm in what you believe. Christ is risen from the dead. And Christ is coming again. And there's not one prophetic thing that needs to happen before He comes. It can happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. And we will all be changed. So be steadfast. Be immovable. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. Our work for the Lord is not in vain because one day we will be transformed. One day we will be raised or we will simply be changed. So get to work. I think this is what Paul is saying to us is, church, it's worth it. It's worth it to lose everything. It's worth it to give everything. It's worth it. Because that moment's coming and it won't be in vain. But only for those who've put their faith in Him. If you've never put your faith in Him today, put your faith in Jesus Christ He's coming again in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of a trumpet. We will be changed. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.